0: Amen. If you will, get your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Another thing that I wanted to share with you is, again, thanks for allowing me to go last Sunday to the first church that they ever called me to be their pastor. It was in November of 1998 that we did a time capsule there. It was about an 8-inch PVC pipe, about 4 foot long, had caps on it. And uh, the members put things in, and it was the plan was to go 20 years, but we further acceded that to um, 25 years and what a blessing uh it was a blessing just to be able to stand behind the first pulpit that i ever preached as a pastor at and it was um it was really good that pulpit seemed so much smaller than when i first stood by, behind it there and but it was truly a blessing and then we we ate after the message and then we came back into the sanctuary And we opened that time capsule. And I don't know if I could say this without tearing up already, but there were some dear saints that's gone on to be a heaven. And they had wrote letters in there talking of their love for the Lord and the love for the church. And it was in love for not the building, but for the church, the body of Christ. And it was so powerful. And it was so moving there that it was just uh, man, we it brought flooded us with memories of those great saints that was there before us. And I wished I had time today to just tell you all about them because I'd love to do that. Uh, but they, I I told them last Sunday that a lot of them I'd never been to seminary. And some preachers say the cemetery, but um, I. Uh, I had some great seminary people who taught me in that first church. And uh, and they've gone on to be with the Lord. And it was truly a blessing. So thank you all for excusing me last Sunday to be there. If you found your way to chapter 9 of 1 Corinthians, let's stand in honor of reading God's word. I am free. Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not my work in the Lord? If to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. My defense to those who examine me is this. Do we not have a right to eat and drink? Do we not have a right to to take along a believing wife, even as the rest of the apostles and brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Or do only Barnabas and I not have the right to refrain from working? Who at any time serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat the fruit of it? Or who tends a flock and does not use the milk of the flock? I am not speaking these things according to human judgment, am I? Or does not the law also say these things? For it is written in the law of Moses, You shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing. God is not concerned about oxen, is he? Or is he speaking altogether for our sake? Yes, for our sake it was written, Because the plowman ought to plow in hope, and the thresher to thresh in hope of sharing the crops. If we sowed spiritual things in you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share the right over you, do we not more? Nevertheless, we did not use this right, but we endured all things so that we will cause no hindrance to the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who perform sacred services eat the food of the temple and those who attend regularly to the altar have their share from the altar? So also the Lord directed those who proclaim the gospel to get their living from the gospel. For I have used none of these things. I'm not writing these things so that it will be done. So in my case, for it would be better for me to die than have any man make my boast an empty one. For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of. For I am under compulsion. For woe, is me if I do not preach the gospel. For, it is, for if I do this voluntarily, I have a reward. But if against my will, I have a stewardship entrusted to me. Father, we thank you so much for this word, God. And I pray that you would bless it for your glory to our hearing and our understanding and to our application. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Supporting the ministry. It was some 20 years ago, I started preaching through the books of the Bible. And I've tried to stay true to going verse by verse. Before I would, before that, I would do topical preaching. And topical preaching is tough. This is what you have to do when you do topical preaching. You've got to think of a topic. And then you've got to find a scripture that would match up with your topic. And then you preach it. But doing verse-by-verse preaching, God picks the topic. And he already has you in the scripture. Where are you going to find it? Because if you recall the last time that I preached behind this pulpit, we was in the last verse of chapter eight, it is the reason we started in the first verse of chapter nine this week. Uh, it has become my conviction to preach the word of god and and the Lord will supply the topic. Some topics I would probably never have picked. Jokingly, I would tell you, like women, submit to your husbands. But I have preached that because it's God's word. And also for husbands to love your wife as Christ loved the church. In our text this morning... Paul is discussing his right to be financially supported by those whom he ministers. In verses 1 through 14, in chapter 9, it tells us of his right. In verses 15 through 18, it gives reason why he would not take advantage of it. And then in verses 19 through 27 why he would give up every right for the sake of winning people to Christ. Today, we're going to look, and I read a little too far there. I was supposed to stop at 14 uh, for today's lesson. In first six verses, Paul gives reason that he has the right to be supported. And he does so by asking rhetorical questions. And he'd ask a lot of them, as we're going to see. Assuming the answer to each one being assumed. He says, am I free? Does the minister share the same freedom rights as everyone else? Paul lets the church know, just as he is taught, and, and 1 Corinthians, of, the, of their freedom, he was free himself. And he cherished his freedom. And then he asked the question, Am I not an apostle? Now all of these questions is, is to get the Corinthians to thinking. Paul was well aware of his apostleship. He did not preach his ideas of philosophy on his own or or minister and serve in his own name and power. He was the Lord's apostle. He was commissioned to take the gospel to the Gentiles. And he gives proof of his apostleship by asking another question. Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? The apostle had to be an eyewitness of Christ and his resurrection. And Paul was not among the the twelve disciples in his earthly ministry, but he saw Christ, at least on a couple occasions. First, we all surely know about in Acts 9, it was on his way to Damascus to capture Christians, to punish them the gospel when Christ showed up and Paul, well he was, his name was Saul was converted and his name became Paul in Acts 22 excuse me, in Acts 18 verse 9 and 10 the, the Lord sent Ananias to, to pray for Paul he, and, and Ananias was like whoa wait, this Saul he's out To punish. And the Lord explained to Ananias that, no, that's all been changed. I have called him to preach to the Gentiles. And then in Acts chapter 22, verse 17 and 18, it says, It happened when I returned to Jerusalem and praying in the temple that I fell into a trance and I saw him, him being Jesus, saying to me, make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly because they will not accept your testimony about me. Then the next question he asked in our text, "Are are you not my work in the Lord? If to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you. Why? Because he had shared the gospel with the Corinthians. They had gotten saved. They came to know Christ through Paul's ministry. The church at Corinth was one of the fruits of Paul's apostolic labors. Their saving faith and knowledge of God, the word came from Paul, his light shining through Paul in in discipleship, preaching, and teaching. They knew. They knew he was an apostle. They knew that he was one that had been with the Lord. The church at Corinth was the seal of his apostleship. It was the seal of his apostleship. Uh, Just speaking about the church, my first church, I want to tell you, my knees clattered and my voice shook and everything else when I became a pastor and and up there, but uh, and i I' would go through a whole lot of stories that most of you already know, but people began to get saved there. Two deacon wives were saved there and And it was just amazing. I tell the story of Mike doles. he was forty nine years old, never been to church in his adult life, and the church began praying for Mike doles and and Mike came forward, and, and he got saved. And he teaches Sunday school there today. And then there was another guy that just walked into church one day, and his name was Tom Cunard. And the deacon came and got me in, during Sunday school, and he said, man, there's a guy that's sitting out there in those pews. He said he's been in every barroom brawl. There he is. And I can't believe he's sitting in the church. And our Sunday school doors was kind of like these doors here that you walked out behind the pulpit and come in. And when I came in, he was on the back pew and he stood up and he said, come here. And I was shaking then. I was thinking, Lord, I hope he ain't wanting church room brawls. And I, I got back there. <clears throat> he said, are you the preacher? I said, yes, sir. He said, I got a question. I said, OK. He says, is it true that God saved Mike Dole's? I said, yes, sir. Well, I got another question. Will he save me? I said, yes, sir. Tom Kennard came down the aisle that day and gave his life to Christ. It was on Easter Sunday. No, excuse me. No, it wasn't. It was a couple weeks before Easter that we baptized Tom. His daddy, 82 years old, came to his baptism. And it was the last thing I did in the service, and I baptized Tom. And I, I got my shirt sleeve wet, and I went to my office, and I was changing shirts, and Tom's sister, who was a very faithful member of First Baptist Rayville, was there, and she came and knocked on the door, and she said, Brother Larry, my daddy wants to talk to you. (laughs) <laughs> and I went out, and Mr. Julian Kennard accepted Jesus Christ. The farmers was out there talking about the rain on the parking lot. Church was over. And I told, after he prayed and asked Christ to come in his life, I, I told the church to come back in. Church wasn't over. Then on Easter Sunday morning, I had Mr. Julian Kennard in the baptistry, and I'm a young preacher, right? And I've, I still can't keep things straight in my head. And I was holding him, and I put my hand up in the air, and I said, I baptize you, Tom Kennard. And he said, Whoa, my name's Julian. <laughs> he didn't want to go under uh, with someone else's name, that was sure. And, uh, and so Mr. Julian was saved. And then Mike Doe's brother-in-law, Billy Geis, was 67 years old. Long story short, for a couple few weeks, probably a couple months, man, Billy Geis didn't want to talk to me about the things of God. I first met him in a hospital where they was fixing to do a procedure I can't never think of that procedure. It's called angioplasty, something about blowing your veins up uh, and letting blood flow. But uh, and he wouldn't talk to me. He had that procedure. And he went home. I went and knocked on the door. The only way he would talk to me if I talked about his dog. But if I talked about God, he would just get quiet. And then. I got asked by Miss Nancy, Mike's wife, to go to St. Francis because her brother, Billy, was going to have a triple bypass about a year later. And I didn't want to go. This man don't want to talk to me. But I went for Miss Nancy. And when the elevator let me off on the floor that he was on, I was walking down the hall. And I was saying, God, this man don't want to talk to me. I don't know what to say to this man. I don't know how. I don't know. And I walked in that room and he just stared at me, laying in bed. His wife was standing there. And I went up and I said, Mr. Billy, you know that I'm Nancy's pastor, right? Yeah, I know. And I said, Well, to go along with that, I'm a Christian. And tomorrow morning, they're going to cut your chest open. And they're going to reach down there and they're going to do this bypass, this thing that's going to bypass your heart to get your, and they're going to do a work on your heart. And Mr. Billy, I'm going to just be straightforward with you. You're either going to get through that or you're going to die. My problem is, is if you die, where are you going? Because there's only two places you can go, Mr. Billy, and that is hell or heaven. And I wouldn't be any kind of a pastor. I wouldn't be any kind of a Christian if I didn't know where you were going. He was a big man. And tears started coming down his face. And he said, I'd be going to hell. And I went, well, I got some great news for you, Mr. Billy. You don't have to. And I began to share the gospel with him. And when I got through, I said, Mr. Billy, will you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and live for him? And he said, yes. And he prayed. I walked out of that room, and I'm not kidding, y'all. I was walking back to that elevator, and usually I'm really excited about somebody getting saved. But I was walking back to that elevator, and I said, you know, God, what did I just do? I just scared a man to heaven. Can you do that? Can you just scare someone to heaven? And I was kind of upset with myself. The next morning, I was working the streets of Monroe. I couldn't get by the hospital. We got busy. And Mike went to the hospital. And they was wheeling Billy out to surgery. And he told the guy that was pushing the bed, he said, stop. And he said, Mike, come up here and pray for me. And he said, Mike said, man, Brother Larry, that's the first time I ever heard him say anything close to that. He got out, went home, had to recuperate for a couple months almost. And then he came to church. And when the piano played at the invitation, he came down and he looked at me and he said, is this what I am supposed to do? I said, yes, sir. And he was the most exciting guy to preach to because he didn't sit on pews like y'all do. He leaned forward and put his arm on the pew in front of him and he did this. If I was walking side to side. He followed me wherever I went. He followed me. About six months later, I gave my resignation there and Mike called me and he said, look, Brother Larry, Billy loves you so much, and I'm so afraid that he'll quit coming to church. Could you please go talk to him? Well, I've got to be honest with you, pride kind of swelled up a little bit. And, uh, yeah. And I went there, and, and I said, Billy, he was sick the day I gave him a resignation. He wasn't able to come to church, and then I said, Billy, I don't know if you heard, but I'll resign. He said, yeah, I heard you resign. I said, Billy, listen to me now, and I want you to listen to me good. I, I, I want you, just because I'm not there, I don't want you to quit going to church. I want you to continue to go to church. He said, Brother Larry, I don't come to church because of you. I come to church because of Jesus Christ, because he's the one that saved me. And I went, Amen, brother. <laughs> you said it right. <laughs> But see, Paul's saying that he has the right to receive wages. But I want to share with you there's something so much more important than money. Because I can remember them two little girls back there when they were just babies. And I can remember Kelly in this baptistry. And I can I know the love from each and every member of this church. That makes me one blessed pastor. It's something that money cannot buy. And you've heard me say in our budget hearings and stuff that if it got to it, I would preach for nothing. Monetarily, nothing. Because I'm paid so much more in other ways. God is a good God. And I never depend on you To provide my way of life, I depend upon Him to provide my way of life. He's worth living for. He takes care of every area of your life when you put your full trust in Him. It'll take me 15 minutes to get my eyes back clear before I can read my notes. But... Paul, in this writing, he's not receiving anything, but he says he also has the right for that he he's bivocational he he's a tent maker and he goes and he preaches the gospel and and my topic there was that the Corinthian church was the seal. Well, my seal is New Hope Baptist Church to Edgewood Baptist Church to this church. The Corinthian church was a living seal to Paul's apostleship, the proof of his genuineness. Paul next gives a defense to those who examine me in this. For those who question, those who investigate, he wants his rights. He clearly desires to defend his rights. And he states in his defense, Do we not have a right to eat and drink? As an apostle, as a minister of the gospel, can I least expect food and drink to be provided for me? I once had a man to tell me that he quit. He was visiting a church, yet became a member of the church, and he was just visiting the church and... and He found out where the pastor lived and he went down the highway where the pastor lived and he got to his house and the pastor lived in a real nice two story home. And He said, I'll never go to that church again because all that pastor is doing is uh, just getting money for him and his big house. Does not a pastor have the right to live in a nice home? Or do we supposed to live in tents? Does the man of God have the right to live a comfortable life? These are really should be common sense questions. In 1 Timothy 5.17, Paul said, The elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. Verse 18 says, For Scripture says, You shall not, you shall not muzzle the ox while he's threshing, and the labor is worthy of his wages. And it also says that in our text this morning. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 6, Paul says this, The one who is taught the word is to share all good things with the one who teaches him. The next question, back to our text, is, Do we have the right to take along a believing wife, even as the rest of the apostles, brothers, of the Lord and Cephas, the question points here to the need of the man of God to be able to support a wife in the ministry also, and with a wife there always comes children most of the time and, and now is he able to support his family? Then Paul asked a question, and it may be with some sarcasm he said, or oh, is it only Barnabas and I that do not have a right from working?" Paul and Barnabas had as much right as the the others to get their livelihood from the ministry without to work on the side. But however, they paid their own way, and they were pleased to do so. Verse seven, I would entitle this, What makes sense? Look at the verse, and it has three questions, and then expect an answer. And I'm going to go ahead and give you the answer to all three of these questions in verse 7, and it's none. That's the answer to all three. Who at any time serves as a soldier at his own expense? None. Soldiers do not work on the side and make time to fight. Soldiers are fed. They're provided clothes. They have a place to stay. Soldiers do not serve at their own expense they are provided for and supplied with their need as well as the equipment they need to live and to fight effectively. They're taken care of. The second question. Who plants a vineyard and does not eat the fruit of it? None. Farmers do not plant a vineyard or crop for someone without being paid. They do not farm for free and then do other work to make a living they eat other fruit they're farming being paid either in money or with a sh- with a crop to share and then in 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 6 the hard working farmer ought to be the first to receive his share of crops the third question which the answer is none who tends a flock, and does not use the milk of the flock. Shepherds do not work for free. Either they expect at least some of the milk of the flock. All three types here are paid for their work. It does not make sense that they, that they do it. Um, it is the right thing to do. Why should it not be to God's true worker as well? That's what Paul is asking. So what does the Word say? Verses 8 through 11. This is not about works, workers being paid. It's not merely according to human judgment. God's law teaches, as referred earlier, for it is written in the law of Moses that you shall not muzzle the ox... While he is threshing, God is not concerned about oxen, is he? The quotation comes from Deuteronomy 25, verse 4, and it's referring to the general practice written in the law of Moses, that oxen were allowed to eat as they worked, and that was their payment. When it says God is not concerned about oxen, just for you animal lovers, it does not mean that God has no concern for the oxen. Scripture shares his provisions and and his care for animals. How he provides for the birds of the air in Matthew 6. How not a sparrow falls without his eyes upon the sparrow. So we know God loves animals. However, God's concern is for his people, not animals. God has put us over creation to take care of it and manage it. A friend of mine sent me a text yesterday and sent it he sent it to a group, wasn't just to me. He had taken little Ollie, which is a little bitty dog. He he's a deputy, been a deputy years. He's strong. And he always talked about his little fluffy dog. And but he texted yesterday and he said, guys, I don't know if it's right or not. But I just got back from the vet and the vet said that Ollie has a tumor in the roof of his mouth. And they're going to schedule to cut it out. And I don't know if it's right or not. But would y'all pray? Because me and my family are really concerned. And I text back to let him know that God was concerned. God gives us pets for us to love and to take care of. If we didn't love and take care of them, he probably wouldn't want us to have them. And and I told him my prayer would be for them, for their comfort, and that God would bless Ollie and let him return home okay. But the question in the text is God's main concern is for us. He created us in his image. Deuteronomy 25 about the oxen is given as an illustration how people should be paid for work. God God was speaking altogether for our sake. Yes, for our sake. It was written. Because the plowman ought to plow in hope, and the thresher to thresh in hope, and then of sharing we sow spiritual things in you. It is, is it too much if we should reap material things from you? Paul had every right to apply the principle to himself, the plowman and the thresher should be able to work in hope of sharing the crops. If men are working, working for men should be paid. Certainly men working for God should be paid. Paul says if, if we sold spiritual things, it presents a condition assumed to be true. That is that genuine ministry has occurred and it, it should not be too much to ask from material things from you. Giving to the Lord's workers is giving to the Lord. That, that is my thought, and you've heard me share that over our mission offerings. When, when I give to, to foreign missions, to, to the country missions here, and to the state missions here, I have that sense that I'm doing something to help God's Word go forward. Whether it's across the sea, whether it's in our nation, whether it's in our state. That every time that I give to missions, I pray over that what I give. Be honest with you folks, have you ever thought about that? We have a prayer before the offering. But have you ever personally prayed and, and really said, God, this is what I give. And listen, it don't matter. Let me see how I better term that. It does matter how much you give because if you're being stingy when God wants to give you, if he, if he wants you to give two quarters and you're only giving one quarter, he knows it. But our big objective is, That we pray over it, that it may be used by God. Next Sunday, we're going to pray over these boxes, and we're going to pray that they will be used by God. It is a gift going out, and that God would receive the glory. And, and for our church, we don't have a lot of boxes. But I remember a boy that only had a, a couple fish and a few loaves of bread that fed, fed the multitudes because Jesus blessed it. Our, our biggest thing is just to be obedient to God. So we pray before we give. May God use it for the ministry to glorify himself. It is our Lord's will that people be generous to those who serve the Lord. Pastors, ministers, those in leadership in the ministry. In verse 12, he speaks of a right over you. He says, If others share the right over you, do we not more? Nevertheless, we do not use the right, but we endure all things, so that we will cause no hindrance to the gospel of Christ. The Corinthians apparently had supported their pastors. They supported Apollos and Peter, who was some of their first pastors, and, and Paul had more claim on that support than others, but he did not use his right. I had a preacher friend that he was bivocational and he farmed a lot of land, and he went to a small country church. And what he did, after a short time there, he said, "Listen, you're the check that you give me just to make it my offering." And so you never have to write me a check, but that that money is being saved in that what I am giving back to the church. That sounds pretty good, but it'd probably be real rough on the next preacher that comes after him because they used to a preacher that uh, didn't take it. I think the right thing would have been for him to just go ahead and take it. And if he wanted to write the check back, do it, not just to have no paperwork of it at all. Uh, if you understand that. But. He did have the right. Paul has the right not to take pay. Although Paul had many reasons, he had to justify his right to be supported, and he weighed the right. He says, but we endure all things that we may cause no hindrance to the gospel of Christ. Paul was a tent maker, as I've already shared with you. It tells that in Acts 18.3. We we can say that he he was bivocational. I have no idea of the supply and demand on tents, especially while he was on two missionary journeys. Of how was how was he getting it all in? He knew that he who his provider was. Even though he had a right, he did not want to hinder the church. He did not want new converts to think that he was receiving money for selfish motives. And then verse 13. And it says, Do you not know that those who perform sacred services eat food of the temple, and those who attend regularly to the altar have their share from the altar? The priest were supported by tithes, crops, and animals, as well as sacrifices from people to whom they ministered in the temple. Paul is sharing the ultimate sacrifice. He was sharing Jesus Christ who went to the cross and died for people's sins. And he was he was pressing on, as he says. He was pressing on that he, he may lay a hold of what has laid a hold of him. And he was doing it for all for the glory of Christ. He was sharing of the blood, the precious blood of Christ that was shed once and for all for atoning, for an atoning sacrifice for sin and all sin. All sin. And then we get to our last reason for the day is Jesus ordained it. Look at verse 14. So also the Lord directed those who proclaim the gospel to get their living from the gospel. When Jesus was giving instructions to the 70 who were sent out in Luke 10, verse 7, this is what Jesus tells them. They had that he told them to go and share the gospel. And he said, if they didn't receive your gospel, to dust your feet off as you leave and go on to another. But then in Luke 10, verse 7, he states, stay in that house this accepting them, eating and drinking. What they give you for labor is worthy of his wages. Do not keep moving house to house. He says, take your wages. It's worthy. The Lord's command people to offer support to those who minister to them. But he does not command those who minister to accept this support because Paul did not. He had the right as much as anyone and more if more than most. But the gospel's sake, for the brethren's sake, and for the love's sake, he willingly waived his right. It's amazing. I, I think it's the most humbling thing to take someone's money <laughs> for someone to do something for you. It's humbling to get a gift for pastor appreciation when I share with you that the real appreciation is you. Our Friday morning breakfast men's Bible study, I forgot what year we started, but it was several years ago at the kitchen restaurant. I very seldom get to buy my own breakfast. What's worse, sometimes, is Tracy will text me and say, hey, order me some bacon. Bacon and bring it home. And then someone grabs my ticket, like the guy in the sound booth and and several others at that men's breakfast. And I don't get to pay for my breakfast. I don't get to pay for my wife's breakfast. And one man, uh, he gets mad when someone else gets the ticket before he does. I don't have to settle him down fighting over my ticket. But one of them, he told me, he said, I don't want you ever arguing with me about this again. He said, you come and feed us spiritual food. I want to feed you physical food. Preaching the gospel. It is of my utmost opinion. that It is the highest calling in life. to preach it right to love people that word pastor I've shared with you many times it's a word Christian when you tell someone that you're a Christian that's saying a whole lot that's saying that you're Christ like that you're a little Christ I shared Wednesday night, right before I left to come to church, I wasn't Christ-like. Tracy had to leave before me, and she needed some help with something, and I was in the midst of making a sandwich. And So I went out to help her, and I came back, and my dog was eating my sandwich. It was up on the counter. He had to get his paws up there and reach to pull it down. And he, it was a hamburger. He had the bun in his mouth and he took off running to the back door. And I want to tell you, if you would have seen your pastor, you would have prayed for him because I was mad. My face turned red. I hollered real loud at that dog. And I didn't look like a pastor. I wasn't acting like a pastor. I don't know what a pastor smells like, but I wasn't even smelling like one. But thank God I am. Because see, well, I guess what I'm trying to tell you there is that we have our faults too. Not perfect. I'm still trying to lay a hold of what Paul said, lay a hold of him. But it's the highest calling. What's ex- what? Is the state here is heaven or hell? We've been preaching on Wednesday nights about assurance and how important it is for a believer to be assured of their faith. We don't have a a hope-so, maybe-so religion. We have a know-so that we should know. If we have faith that the Lord Jesus Christ came and lived upon this earth and never sinned, not one little sin, his entire 33 years, and he went to the cross... And there he was nailed to that cross, and there he died on that cross, not for any sin of his own, because he had none, but that he died for our sin, that our sin was placed upon him, and he died there. If we trust that, we are assured, and that it changes us. We live our lives for him. And once we have that assurance... As I've been telling on Wednesday nights and I've told the men because I've used that same message. You can fight hell with a water pistol and win. It's not because the water pistol had anything to do with it. It's because you've got Jesus Christ in your life. And the biggest thing in life is to know him. And to know him Personally. Billy Graham used to give some kind of stats about how many people are in the church that's not saved, but yet they're on the membership roll saying they're saved. He got that number because of how many came in his crusades to get saved when they was already on the church roll. It's a scary thing. Uh, When I looked over this text that I was going to be preaching, I said, How am I going to get the gospel out in that? It's just talking about Paul not getting paid. But I tell you the big answer of this text is that God's that Paul knew that God was worth living for, working for, preaching for, being shipwrecked for, snake bit for, being beaten and left for dead, being thrown in prisons. He said he's worth living for. But what about you? Do you have the assurance? Assurance that you're going to heaven. Because listen to me. If you got the assurance that you're going to heaven, you can do all things in Christ. Your desire to share with someone about Jesus, I've been inching my way up in people and businesses at lawyers' offices that I go and serve papers. I used to say, have a good day. And then I, then I got it on up to have a blessed day. And now I'm saying, be blessed in the Lord today. Do we have the assurance? With assurance, we won't back down from telling anybody about Jesus. We won't care if they call us a holy roller or whatever the latest term is today. Because we love Jesus. He's worth talking about. He's worth sharing. If we do not share Jesus, who is? We're the church. We are the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Who's going to do it? What about your prayer life? Do do you know that God bends His ear from heaven to hear you pray? Are you praying that the lost will get saved? Our prayer list is full of sick people. And yes, God still heals the sick. If He didn't, everybody would be sick. But what about the lost? What about the unconcerned? Are we praying for them? They're in our families. Amen? Is everybody in your family saved? I doubt it. They need prayer. They need God to intercede in their life and open their eyes. What about your friends? I used to seek popularity. I used to do anything that my friends did just to kind of be in the group. I wanted to be pleasing to them. I still want to be pleasing to them, but I want to be pleasing to him more. And so what he says must go, even if it's unpleasing to my friends. And I'm still going to share Jesus with them. What about you?